Welcome to the UP Notable Books Club, brought to you by the Upper Peninsula Publisher and Authors Association. Susan Purvis's love for adventure and medicine has taken her to the hottest, coldest, and highest places on Earth, Ethiopia, Antarctica, and Nepal. As a wilderness medicine expert and extraordinary speaker, Susan has worked on film sets for National Geographic Channel, True TV, appeared on the science documentary The Hottest Place on Earth, aired on the BBC and Discovery. She's been featured or quoted in the Wall Street Journal, Smithsonian, on CNN, television, numerous magazines, and newspaper articles. Since 1998, Susan has owned and operated Crested Butte Outdoors International, based in Whitefish, Montana. Her mission is to teach students how to think critically in unconventional settings. But anyway, we want to just say welcome to everybody and a big thank you to Susan, who is yes. talking to us from Montana. And she's got, as you can see on your screen, she has a slideshow that she's going to share with us. So um, I don't know if I have any other announcements, but it is great to see everybody. There's Paula. Hello, Paula. Hello, oh. Carolyn and um, Les. Oh. Nice to see you guys Hi. here. Okay, and um, so Susan, if you want to take it away, Victor's not going to be here tonight from UPA, so we don't have any Upper Peninsula Publishers and Authors Association updates because he's downstate and they've had a lot of power outages. So he oh, doesn't wow. think he's going to be on, so I think it's just going to be us. But um, Susan just mentioned to me that she is really happy if you've got a question she said, go ahead and ask it because sometimes if you wait, you forget. And she's happy with answering at any time. And I'm going to try to keep, I will keep track of the chat for her. If you wanted to put something in the chat while she's um, doing her presentation. So how does that sound to everyone? Great. Oh, good. Oh, gosh. Gosh, we've got even more people. There's, there's Judy Bjork is on and John is on. Hello, everyone. All right. I think we're going to turn this over to Susan Purvis. So thank you, Susan. Hey. Hello. Hi. Thanks for coming. Hi. And thanks for uh, the UP Notable Book Award. So I, some of my friends are on the chat from around the, the United States. And so I will get to what UP means. And by the way, can you guys all hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. So um, I'll let you take the invite over, Evelyn. Um, so I'm just going to run through uh, my story here. Um, and just to back up, um, this is uh, my photo from one of the first avalanches that my search dog Tosh and I uh, went to. It was on the Continental Divide outside of Boulder, Colorado, where there was one missing um, man. And it was our first big mission and we, we had a lot of fear around that. Remind me if I don't um, follow up with what happened, I'll tell you. Um, so everyone loves a great story and there's a lot of different things I could talk about today, but I just wanted to take you on my journey um, of how a, a gal from Marquette, Michigan um, has really had a, a great adventurous life uh, working in the outdoors. And like I was saying, um, Evelyn was saying, if you have any questions, um, you can interrupt um, and, or put something in the chat box. What I learned then um, about the book writing process is that you either have a great story or you're a really great writer. And I learned uh, about 50 years ago that um, I loved to write, but I was not a very good writer. And writing, like everything, um, takes a lot of work. 
So what I had then was a really great story. And that's how I was able to um, get through the writing process and the whole publishing process and be traditionally published. Um, and as you, for those of you who haven't read my book, you, uh, my book's about the training and deploying a search and rescue dog in the high country of Colorado, even though I live in Montana uh, right now, that's my home. And, um, and the result of living this life, I, I, mm -hmm. I made a promise that I was going to train a dog to save lives and never leave anyone behind. But I also promised my parents I was going to write this goddamn book about it. <laughs> so, um, by the way, this is the um, Triple Divide, which is in Montana. Uh, does anybody know what the Triple Divide means? No. Ah. So the Continental Divide is the water goes to the um, Atlantic, the water goes to the Pacific, and then the Triple Divide is the watershed goes to the Arctic. So we have that here in Glacier National Park. Trivia. Okay, and for those of you who haven't seen my book, um, we can talk about really anything in my presentation about the book publishing process, the writing process, how do you get someone like Sebastian Younger to endorse your book? Um, and, or you can talk about, you know, you guys probably all have dogs. What, you know, what do you need to know about training your dog? One of the things I'm most proud of is, you know, I grew up in Marquette. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But um, when my book got published, all of a sudden I showed up at Book Expo in New York City. And my book was one of six in the front of the Javits Center, which was the largest book expo in North America. And I, I got out of the taxi and nearly fell to the ground because nobody told me. My mm. publisher uh, forgot to tell me that it was going to be on the front of the Javits Center. <laughs> uh, the other oh thing I did about with traditional publishing is that um, in my contract, I've also got to narrate my audiobook. I don't know if anybody had a chance to listen to the book, yes. but you know, I it's always better when the author that. reads it. Yeah, it was good. So I'm going to start you out real quick. I'm going to do a quick little read. Um, the it's my chapter one. I'm about. Uh, I'm doing the scariest mission of my life. This is us um, inside of a helicopter, not the one I was actually in. And on this photo, you can see. Um, I'm. I'm going to read it to you. But down where my mouse is, I don't know if you guys can see my mouse. There's a man down there carving out one of the. Uh, a little landing strip for one blade of the helicopter. So there was a plane crash on the side of this mountain at 13,500 feet. And um, I'm gonna read, this is how my book opens. It's called The Last Ditch Effort. And it's the summer of 2005 in Uray, Colorado. If the helicopter shifts, we're dead. Dead like the guy we're looking for. So much can go wrong up here. Peering out the open door, I look down at the fast moving unforgiving terrain far above the tree line where the air is thin. Volcanic rocks break into huge spires and fins. Freeze thaw cycles have crumbled the cliffs into strange gargoyle like shapes and every crevice is filled with snow. Tasha, my black Labrador retriever and avalanche dog partner is wedged between the pilot and me. Her bum presses against the pilot's right hip while she digs her furry elbows into my thighs and settles her barrel chest onto my lap. Her webbed feet splayed wide from years of digging an avalanche debris dangle off my legs and onto the helicopter's open doorway. 
I'm going to go ahead and uh, move to a little another section of this chapter. As we're approaching this um, cliff face, we're about to land. I move forward and say, inside the helicopter, Tasha's silky ears flap against her blocky head as air blasts through my side of the helicopter. Her chest swells and retracts, panting breathlessly as the air thins. Her tongue is pasty white. Her breath stinks, and I can't tell if the excessive panting is from the nerves or the food she gobbled down last night when she nosed open my suitcase and devoured eight cups of kibble, plastic <laughs> bag and all. Her bloated belly feels like a stuffed sausage, and I want to wring her neck. Anybody have any black labs out there? Yellow. They will do them. How could she do this to me? 10 years of training, sacrifices, and proving our worth into a community of doubters, many hoping I would fail. This mission is the pinnacle of our careers, and because of Tasha's gluttony, we might fail if we don't die first. And one last little section. It's always fun to have the author read, right? <laughs> we're, we're, we, just, we just put one skid onto the snow. Um, let me see what my next slide is. Um, and he says, the pilot says, you're going to have to jump. And I'm like, jump? I worry about Tasha's distended abdomen. She could rupture her gut if she lands on her belly. Then I remember the raspy plea of Ed Jones, the uncle of the missing man. I'm not leaving Colorado until my family members are counted for. I've been scouring these mountains for over 30 days. Ed's desperation had convinced me I had to come out here. We're his last hope. 10 years ago, when I blindly launched into this volunteer search dog career, I promised I would never leave anyone behind. And I've kept my word so far. <laughs> so that is part of the opening chapter. Um, when I set out to write this book, I was just gonna write about our missions and our training because I thought, oh, how lovely, you know, that would be a fun book. But actually in that moment, when we were getting ready to land, I had to question why it was easier for me to jump out of the side of a helicopter at 13,000 feet with my avalanche dog to look for a plane crash victim. Why was that easier than for me to talk to my husband about our 18 year relationship together? And when I, finally couldn't get that out of my head, I had to write about that in my book. So now my book wasn't just about the training and the deploying of my search and rescue dog, but it, it became a lot more um, of a, you know, my journey of um, finding my way through a life that wasn't as perfect as it looked. Okay, I got you all quiet there. <laughs> so um the other great accomplishment is i i so i promised to myself that i was going to train a dog to save lives and i and never uh would never leave anyone behind and the other promise is i promised my mom and dad i'd get this goddamn book done so 
you know, how long does it take to write your first memoir? Oh, it took me a long time. It took me about 10 years. Because mm -hmm. um, book writing is, you know, it's an art in itself. And I just didn't have the confidence or the skill to do it. Just like really, I didn't have the confidence or skill to train a dog, but I found it. Um, this is my dad in the veterans home in Marquette, Michigan. Um, and I brought him my book and he's like, what's this book about? Who wrote it? Um, he had Alzheimer's, right? And I'm just like, oh no. So um, he got to see it, but I didn't see any, any comprehension of what was going on. So sadly to say my parents have both died, but um, they did get to see the published um, version. So this is for those of you who are not from Northern Michigan, um, the UP stands for Uper or the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. So this is the back, my backyard. How many folks um, are from Mar Marquette? Anyone in the uh, audience? No, you guys might be from elsewhere. But we got a few Upers, right? We've got Upers on. We got some Upers, thank God. I should talk <laughs> Uper talk now. Um, for those of you who don't know, <laughs> The Upper Peninsula um, is in the upper left there. And then I, it's funny, I put the COVID map for the rest of the state. And notice that um, everybody forgets about the UP. So it's like its own little um, little island, right? You know, they put maps over it or legends over it like it doesn't exist um, <laughs> so to get you oriented. And um, Evelyn, who's hosting this great uh, Zoom call is from... Crystal Falls. Yeah, where is it? Oh yeah, it's down there by Iron River. Yes, we've got quite a few of us here from Crystal Falls. Awesome. Yep, and we've got some down by Iron Mountain Way and, and, and yeah. all over. I have been there. So anyway, <laughs> oh yeah, any questions so far? Well, we had one message in the chat just saying that you are um, brave to do the work you did and equally to share the personal story of your relationship and life. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so um, for those of you who've been to Marquette, I grew up in like a pretty average family. Um, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. She didn't have a college degree. My dad was a fish biologist and they moved to Marquette from Connecticut. Mm -hmm. and they had three of us and so they were a little naive they, they you know little did they know they were going to the coldest and the snowiest place on the planet right um, <laughs> uh, so you know my mom was like I think sick of us you know by two years so she would just throw us outside I think I lived in a permanent state of frostbite um <laughs> growing up in Marquette with all the cotton and things um my mom had big plans for me um, I think she wanted me to maybe be um, a beauty queen or be in the cosmetic industry, but the, you know, she got me into all the stuff that um, I have no interest in it now. Um, it was probably more my dad that got me into the outdoors. Um, you know, he spent all his time on the lake. I started to love the lake. I still question why women in the 60s went out with their curlers boating. Do you guys know the answer to that? <laughs> it's funny we just lived in them that's right yeah for we're saving your curled hair for bed i don't know okay um this is the palestra was what considered one of the largest wooden ice structures i think in the world and we had this in marquette michigan you know kind of hockey was born there and this became my playpen 
like our parents just threw our kid the kids in there and we just ran wild so i grew up as a free spirit not a lot of discipline you know they you know just make sure we came home by dark um so I just had to throw that in there if there was anybody from Marquette. So, you know, again, I wasn't living the outdoor life. I, you know, was doing the cheerleading thing and um, I got turned on to skiing. And the reason why I put this in here is to remind me that when, when by the time I was 16, I, I, they had a junior ski patrol there in Marquette. So I got a little bit of knowledge about medicine and ski patrol, but I thought, oh, that's interesting. So I, I played around with that for a while. Um, as we got older, we got braver, you know, our parents would just let us go on these canoe trips, um, on Lake Superior, um, for a week at a time, kind of unsupervised sometimes. I, I just can't even believe it now in our cotton, you know, in our cardboard box for our tote kit. Um, and then when I was um, in, uh, ninth grade, my family friends, um, took me backpacking into Montana. And so my world started to get bigger and bigger. And I was learning survive, you know, how to live on my own. My mom wasn't taking care of me and picking up after me. I, you know, if I didn't participate as a group, you know, the group wasn't going to go forward. So I was starting to learn all these life skills. And when I came back, that was like two weeks or a month in the Bob Marshall Wilderness. Um, I'm gonna give you a quote here that my best friend always reminds me. She goes, Sue, do you remember it was like 50 years ago, we'd lay on the beach or go camping and you'd always look up at the stars and say, do you ever wonder what the heck is going on up there? Um, and then I talked to her today. She wanted to make sure I said that. And she goes, and you still, <laughs> are looking up the stars trying to figure out what's going on up there and then so i took i took it into my own hands and i thought hmm maybe i'll just date an astronaut and they'll he'll show me uh -huh. okay moving on so the one thing i i knew then in those moments of looking up at the stars is that i didn't want my mother's life um and now i know that's pretty harsh to hear um, but I even said it to my mom when I was writing my book. Um, not that I'm not, um, it's not, it wasn't important what she did, but I just didn't want to be that woman raising kids, cooking, kids in the playpen, waiting for the husband to come home. I'm like, and I didn't have a whole lot of role models. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I did tell my mother when I was writing my book, I go, mom, you know, I hate to say it, but I need to tell you my truth is, you know, the reason why I did what I did is because I didn't want your life. And you know what she said to me? She goes, I didn't want it either. <laughs> you know, that's just, you know, as you guys, some of you guys who are older knew, you know, you're going to stay at home, what, be a secretary, a teacher, a nurse, um, you know, unless you're kind of outside the box. She had birth control, her mother didn't. So this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to travel the world. Um, you know, traveling was my teacher, not in a schoolroom. So that's how I was going to learn. And I knew that I also wanted to write, but I couldn't afford to write. I didn't have the confidence. So I had to go be practical. And I went and um, got a degree in geology. But in the meantime, I, you know, I, I bike toured on $7 a day for months at a time. I went to Antarctica. Mm -hmm. I got to explore the Amazon. 
<laughs> and I was learning all these skills on how I wanted to live my life. I, out of college, I became a survival instructor. And this was probably one of the most important things I ever did in my life because it gave me, you know, I realized if I could live off the land for either a day or a week or a month, then I could probably do just about anything. Um, and then I couldn't sustain a living doing that. So I had to, I put my geology to work and I started, um, doing becoming a gold exploration geologist that's where i met my husband who's dug in the book and we commuted from colorado to the dominican republic and we ran a gold exploration office and this was my world um and you know these were my people i didn't speak spanish it was dangerous it was difficult i felt like i was going to get kidnapped because we were kind of tagged as uh rich americans looking for gold and I, I knew something was missing in my life. I didn't know what it was, but I thought, oh, I just, I, I don't care about looking for gold. I need to look for people. So because we were commuting, we could live anywhere. And we chose the last great Colorado ski town, which is Crested Butte, Colorado. So um, I commuted from 9,500 feet in Colorado to sea level for years. And I think I needed to get a puppy to fill a hole in my heart. And I got this little puppy named Tasha. I didn't know a thing about training dogs. I didn't know anything about avalanches. But what I could do was um, ski patrol. Even though I never really professionally ski patrolled, I thought, oh, I know how to ski. I could do that. And Crested Butte at the time didn't have a dog program. And when I got on ski patrol, it was here where I learned about what we call in book writing an inciting incident. This is where, you know, my life was just cruising along like this. And then I, I learn about something and my life takes a whole new direction. And that's when um, I was on the ski patrol duty and we're in a big hundred inch storm, we couldn't see anything. And I was hearing about the avalanche that happened across the street from this world-class ski resort that buried three toddlers on a Sunday morning at 9 a.m. on a bluebird day when the parents were loading up the luggage to bring them back to the airport. And, um, you know, 200 people from the town came to find these three toddlers buried Two were found in respiratory um, arrest. They were blue. Uh, they were found by using, you know, sticks and brooms, and um, they were revived um, and they lived. And the third boy, they had a hard time finding them. And a trained avalanche dog came to look for the boy. And I was leaning in, listening to the story, and I kept saying, "Well, what did the dog do? How come the dog couldn't find him?" And the the answer they gave me wasn't good enough. Um, I kept prying saying, why couldn't the dog find the third child? And it was in that moment, um, I thought, wow, I wonder if I could train a dog to save a life. They eventually found the kid. He was 10 feet under. They found him an hour later and he did not survive. So this still hillside still in Crested Butte. They haven't really done a whole lot to mitigate it, except put a $500,000 retaining wall on some of the condominiums. But it's it's actively slides. Uh, so there's an example of uh, what 
uh, mm -hmm. even a little avalanche can do to a structure, let alone a person. Um, and so does anybody have any questions? Yep. Uh, we had one question here um, from Dorothy, who has just joined us. She's back there. What was it about? If you ever contemplated with your survivalist skills, contemplated on going on that TV show alone. No. Survivor? No, that's a lot of suffering. And um, I don't even think you get paid for it. <laughs> if, you, if you win, it's like half a million dollars. Oh, huh? Uh huh. No, I think that would be. Um, I don't like the bugs. No. I've already done all that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's got to be a better way to make a half a million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions out there from anyone? Kind of quickly looking through. It looks like everybody's just happy watching your report. Okay. You got yeah, and um. So I'll just take you, um, you know, I, I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk to you about how dogs find scent. There's a lot of different ways I can go with this, but um, that, this is pretty interesting too. So, um, you know, what you, the one thing you can't do is have your dog find animals. And, um, you know, so again, there's, so it, dog training can be very complicated and I you know I didn't know how to do anything I um but I put both feet in the really the only you know connection I had with animals was talking to these penguins when I was in Antarctica to you know hanging out with some camels trying to figure out which way to go should I go left or right I didn't really mm -hmm. know how to communicate with you know an animal um but what I could do was you know I could survive I know how to navigate um i was competent in the outdoors and i could probably walk my way through anything so um and i was kind of scrappy so i could negotiate you know my way through anything so these are just some photos of my travels as i i talk through this story so these were some tibetan traders and i was trying to trade a lara bar for some like some jewels right and um they were pretty clever they pulled out their solar calculator and knew exactly the math I, I couldn't pull by anything by them on that one mm -hmm. so you know one of the things um i i've kind of always been a loner i wasn't very good with groups and now uh i had to join a bunch of groups to learn how to do this i had to join a search <laughs> team i had to join, join a dog team I had to learn how to play in the sandbox in a small town. I was from out of town. You guys might know what that's like to, you know, be a new person in a small town. It's hard to break in. And definitely I was in a really uh, misogynistic, ego-driven yeah. type community. And I had an agenda. Um, and I, I just, I was naive to it all. I just never had to deal with anything like that. Now I'm in the process then I decided I'm gonna start my own company. I got involved with wilderness medicine. So to this day, I've been running my company Crested Beat Outdoors for 25 years. And um, you know, if, if there's any young people on the call, it looks like we're a bunch of old farts, but um, you know, the best thing I ever did for my career was to start my own company because it's really taken me around the world doing all kinds of um, amazing things. So any young, um, your grandkids, I mean, the best thing I think you could tell them to do is start their own company um, 
because you have to, you know, yesterday if she thought about it, she said responsibility. I'm kind of fast forwarding here, but during this process of my own company, I've been able to train the Sherpas who climb Mount Everest and the African guides who work on Mount Kilimanjaro and teach them about wilderness medicine. Again, you know, I didn't know anything about medicine. It's not rocket science. Rocket science is rocket science. But, you know, medicine is something we can all learn. And my, my gift in the way I give back is, you know, teaching these ethnic groups how to um, um, understand how the body works so that they can take care of themselves and their family. So right, I was on my way. I had the dog, I had the story, I was in a small town, I could do this, flow like water, everything's great. And then what I realized is that you can get buried pretty fast in when you're in the business of saving lives. So this is actually me getting caught in a um, a tree well, which is uh, Western Montana is pretty famous for killing people. Um, you can just be skiing by a tree and I swear to God that snow snake will come and grab you and pull you into this tree well. But this was just a metaphor for all the um, obstacles and hurdles I had to overcome, which is really, you know, the second part of my book, right? How, how does one train a dog? How do they get certified? How do you get on the call list to go on missions? And, you know, I met roadblocks all along the way. And not to mention in my marriage and with my dog, um, right? If she loved me, she was going to do everything I said, right? Same with husbands too, right? Okay, but you know, um, my parents, you know, my mom taught me, I, you know, again, um, how to crawl my way out. And that's what I did. And you know what? My goal was to train this dog and nothing was going to stop me. And so I had to grow some thick skin and fight for what I wanted. So the, here I am. Um, yeah. I'm in the hottest place on earth, which was in, um, does anybody know? Death Valley. Um, it's in Ethiopia in the Danakil Depression. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'm doing medicine here for a month. And um, so everybody walked around with AK-47s and we were, right, we were working around a bunch of active volcanoes. So we had our masks. So, okay. So I'm on my way to getting what I want. I have to get certified and then I have to have the sheriff's office call me. So I'm gonna switch gears uh, and talk about uh, what dogs are looking for and the science behind it. You guys good to go on that? Mm -hmm. One quick question though. Somebody wanted to know, um, wait, oh, oh, that's not what I wanted to hit. Um, where is Crested Butte, Colorado? Is it close to Gunnison? Yes, 30 miles away. Okay. So it, it's between Aspen and Gunnison. It's an old mining town. Mm. Okay, that's all we got. Okay. So um, if you're going to go into search and rescue, by the way, is anybody on the call interested in training a search and rescue dog? <laughs> Not after that. I didn't think so. <laughs> um, there, it's better if you start them when they're young. Uh, okay. And... And then don't get too big of a dog, right? Because now you got to transport it. Um, 
it, the most common question I get asked is what dog should I train? And it's the one you want to live with, right? Um, and part of, you know, the whole job is to get these dogs doing things uh, they normally wouldn't do so that any situation they feel that, you know, they, they trust you and they're comfortable because you might have to load them on a helicopter or have them ride a snowmobile, whatever it is. So this is us practicing with a harness, um, suspending her in the air. Um, some dogs can ride horses. You know, the, the most difficult part of dog work is getting your dog to the scene. So the, the smaller and they are, the better off it is. Um, this is Poodle Lady. If you guys read my book, she was one of the main characters. She had that white standard poodle from Aspen. And then she also got a German Shepherd. Um, so Tasha was, um, a, she was probably a little bit like me, stubborn, independent, curious, didn't listen you know, two steps forward, one step back. So her and I had the battle of the wills. Um, as you guys who have canines probably have all experienced that. Um, what is it that they're, they're trying to tell us and to create a bond uh, that um, where your life matters, uh, you can depend on each other. So this is actually a shot of the Pentagon. Um, my, a colleague of mine, did respond to the Pentagon with her search dog and her dog did pinpoint where the, uh, the pilot in the plane was located. Um, so for those of you who don't know this, um, all day long, we shed skin cells. So you know, when you think you're dusting in your house, you think it's dust, it's really probably your dead skin cells. So science says we shed 40,000 to 50,000 skin cells every second. Um, so if you haven't washed your sheets in a while, okay, so um, some of the cells fall to the ground, some of them fly into the air, and then the wind moves it. So um, you can imagine if this was someone who maybe was unresponsive, you could see how that this, you know, the scent collects closer to the body and then it, it disperses and the further away you get, you, you do get some residual scent. So our job then is to, to have our dog put them in the scent cone. So if they're in the scent cone, they can hone in on and find the person. Pretty straightforward, right? And here's an example. Um, if that was a lost person, which way do you think the, uh, the wind is moving from, I think, my smile. Right to the left. Yeah. Um, and so let me just go back then. You know, we would want, based on what the winds are doing, we'd want to start on the left-hand side of the screen and work in if that's the scent cone. And then zippity-doo, our dog should be able to find a human. Well, you know, what happens in the, in the snow, remember, we're... 100 degree piece of meat lying in the 30 degree snow, warm air rises. This is all basic physics. So, you know, your idea is you want to get the dog on top of the snow pile so that they can point, pinpoint where the person is buried. Um, oops, somebody's not on mute. Should I mute everybody? Mute everybody. Yes. I lost the power. Somehow it. Good. 
Okay, can you guys hear me? Yeah, okay. So um, this is one complicated day. This is a snapshot of the microcurrents on any mountain range um, on any given day. And so working a canine during the day is the worst possible time because it's complicated. I have to unmute you guys. Um, I don't like it. Can you unmute everybody now? There. Okay, so, can you hear us? Yep. Okay. So you guys understand now how, you know, what scent is, where it can go. And scent, you know, likes to hang out kind of like bugs and bacteria where it's quiet and moist and wet, like along rivers. It doesn't like to be on a rock outcrop with a hundred degree sun beating on it because it will get eaten up and disappear. So we tend to see dogs working down in the low areas because they're gathering information. And in this picture just represents that how quickly, you, you know, if you were a human, you could walk by that person, you'd never see him, but a dog's gonna smell him. Um, and then this is the science behind their nose. Really all you need to know is that their nose is bigger than ours. So they have a, an incredible capacity to gather information through their nose. So any questions so far? Anything else come up for anybody? We had some questions in the chat. So um, this one is from Judy Bjork and she asks or states, it would be great if your book was offered to schools in Colorado. As a grandmother of a Colorado girls, it would be fun for them to be exposed to this story. I'm going to tell them about your book. Awesome. Have you done any talks in Colorado? I have. I've done quite a few. Um, yeah, they, you know, that's, you know, what in, it brings up the next point, like, oh, are you working on another book? Yeah, there's a lot of children's stories I could take off of this, you know, um, definitely where, you know, young kids could get interested in science just by through the dog's point of view. Mm -hmm. um, so... Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. You know, the publishing business is tricky. It's all about who you know and, you know, word of mouth. And if somebody's really, you know, persistent about this, things will happen. Mm -hmm. So let me just talk to you guys real quick because we're going to run through some quick scenarios before we end this call. So then you could be the dog handler and try to tell me where I would work my dog. So mm -hmm. what happened? So during the day, you know, when the sun beats down on the ground, warm air rises, right? So what happens then at night? So, you know, this is going to, it's going to sunset here. We know if you were, um, it's getting close to dark now and you were lost right there, eventually at night, would you guys, your scent travels downhill. Okay. So if you're up here, Trent scent travels down here. So the point here is most of the dogs should be working at night because the air starts to get, it goes downhill, it gets calm, it gets quiet, it gets cool. And you guys know if during the day, all if this was during the day and you were searching, it would all just fly up in the air. Impossible for a dog to gather information. So the, this is the one of the battles we had to overcome with the sheriff's department because we need to be working at night and early morning. And really during the day, it's ridiculous to not to work. 
and they perceive that to be dangerous. So they're less likely to call us at night. And, you know, we can, dogs are so fast, quick and efficient that we can solve problems within hours, minutes or hours. And um, that's one of kind of the, the political problems with all this mm -hmm. is, um, you know, search team would like to be out there and they, they, they don't want the dogs to make the fine. I mean, that's the honest truth, right? Um, <laughs> so this was my, my beat. All right, are you guys ready to try some missions? We're going to go on a, a couple of missions here. So um, Tasha ended up getting certified in, in avalanche, water, wilderness, and then um, we worked in cadaver. So this is a real mission. And on the top, of, can you guys see my, my mouse when I move it? Let's see here. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So all we know is that three people in a St. Bernice mountain dog were coming across the slope in April. Um, the first two men made it to the trees here. The third guy uh, triggered the avalanche and he was swept down. Okay. Yeah, that's the avalanche. And they didn't know where he went. So when a dog handler comes in, we're going to enter the scene here at the bottom because that's where the road is. So if you get there at three in the afternoon, which way will the winds be? What will the winds be doing? Mm -hmm. They'll be going up. So that's not very useful, is it? No. That means, you know, you got to just go walk back and forth and hump it. You know, it's going to take you maybe half a day if you're out of shape to get all the way up here. And it's dangerous. So you can, you see, you'd really want to work this when the winds shift, because really all you have to do is hang out at the bottom here. And then when the dog picks up the scent, he's going to go right to the source. Make mm -hmm. sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened is they called off the mission because it was getting dark and dangerous and windy and they're pulling the people away and the dog away and the, and the wind shifted and the dog went, his nose went out and he ran up the hill. So what do you do as a dog handler? You're like, Oh my God, my dog just took off bad dog. But you know, when you give the dog command, they're going to work. So as a handler, you have to follow your dog. And sure enough, the dog went right to the person. Mm. He was found actually right up here, way high. He got caught on a tree. Wow. Now the dog, the Saint, little seven month old St. Bernice mountain dog was also missing. Um, they couldn't find him. They went back for seven days, poking and prodding. They really wanted to find the dog. They found his backpack they couldn't find the dog and they were getting in their car ready to leave after seven days and the little dog came out of the woods mm -hmm. oh my god the dog yay mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. um the other most common question i get is wow dogs can find people in the water mm -hmm. and the answer is yes so it's like the avalanche right um this is more difficult because it's a three-dimensional body. You know, things are moving around. Um, so dogs need to work when it's quiet, usually at night, early morning, and they can gather a lot of information. So this is one of the uh, water missions that Tasha and I worked. And so to um, summarize all this, um, <clears throat> you know, what did I learn is uh, um, knowing or following your path is really important and having purpose and passion, you know, I think is the key to life. Um, and as difficult as your goal may be, don't quit. Mm 
And it was really easy for me to quit writing this book. I mean, if, any, if, I have, if there's any writers, I know there's some writers in here because I'm work with some of them. Um, it's easy to quit. And you're like, you know, you want to throw it in the drawer and say, oh my God, nobody, why, nobody gives a shit about this. What am I doing? I'm wasting my time and everybody else's time. But, you know, if it's, if it's on your path, you, you know, just do it. It's okay. Um, and I persevered and um, the rewards have been incredible. Um, so my question back to you is, what's your promise? <laughs> or another way of looking at it is, what's your Everest? Um, and don't give up on your dreams. And as Tashi would say, just, just go for it. <laughs> um, I have a question. Yeah. Okay, we have a question here. Well, um, I know at the end of the book, Tasha passes away. And um, did you get back into it like with another dog or did you go a different direction? Yeah, I started writing my book and <laughs> I, you know, that's been like 12 or 13 years and I still don't have the courage to get another dog. Oh, um, yeah, that, that was, it was unique with you and Tasha. It was just- Yeah, and you know- to be I replaced. I moved to Montana and Montana's like 20 years behind Colorado. So their SAR politics and, you yeah. know, it's still kind of backwards and there was no way I could relive all that stuff. And yeah. I kind of dabbled in it and yeah. it was a little, uh, a little hot around the edges, so to speak here. Yeah. So um, I just backed away from it all. Okay, well, good. <laughs> okay. Well, is that your last slide? Um, pretty much. Let's see. I just was going to say, um, if oh, you guys, yeah. I have a newsletter. If you guys, um, there's my website. You can get, log in and sign up for my newsletter. What do I talk about? Um, canine health, wilderness medicine, um, problems, um, traveling learning new things, writing. Mm. Great. Yeah. Well, I just thought if that we could stop sharing the screen and then we could see everybody a little oh, bit yeah. easier to see if there's more questions. Okay, right yeah. now I keep shifting through the people. It's hard to, okay. Better. There we, go. there we are. All right. So does anybody out there have any questions for Susan while we've got her on the line after that very interesting presentation i just want to say that uh susan you are just an amazing woman <laughs> and so inspiring thank you for writing your book oh thank you <laughs> well and you never know what um you know some people hate it and so you know you never know what people are going to say so thank you for that but you know what the one criticism i get is they're like why didn't you put that darn dog on a leash? <laughs> Everything would have been so simple if I would have just leashed my dog, right? <laughs> Guess there would have been no stories to tell. <laughs> <laughs> and there wouldn't have been a book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, what's next? What's next for you as far as uh, your career and uh, decisions for your future? <gasps> oh, that's heavy, Joan. Um, <laughs> Let's see what's next. Um, I just got asked to go house sit um, 
on the big island of Hawaii, yeah, um, right on the water. So is that like, is that proximal enough? That um, goes, <laughs> that cooks. No, uh, let's see, I continue, I have my company, uh, my wilderness medicine um, company, that's really how I make my money. And I, I travel around the world teaching. So I have a fall schedule coming up. And then I teach avalanche courses here um, in Northwest Montana or in Colorado. So that gets me through the fall and the winter. And I'm working on, um, I'll, I'll run this by you guys. I shouldn't share my idea, but one of my clients is uh, Ted Turner Enterprises. So I go to his bison ranches and, tra and train his bison wranglers and um, his biologists. And I learned of a bison named, um, oh, what's her name? It was the character, on, oh, Carla on Cheers. <laughs> named their baby bison that they raised, Carla. And I think I want to make that into a children's book because we don't know about bison and this family raised many bison from they were one day old when they were abandoned so shh, don't tell anybody that's my next project okay well yeah um wow okay i see something coming up here on the chat let's see what we have there it says um, have you ever made it back to michigan not including the trip to visit your parents. Have you ever come back for skiing or for a rescue? That's a great question. Um, I've been called to go do water searches there. Um, I was asked uh, when Tasha was alive to go back there quite a bit. Um, the, the full circle moment was uh, there's a Fresh Coast Film Festival there in my hometown in Marquette and they asked me to be a keynote uh, before COVID. 2019 and um I got to stand on my the stage where I gave the you know eighth grade band concert um I had been no. back for 45 years and I stood on that stage at the um and got to share my story um so that was a full circle moment but I want to say you know the UP is one of those special places on the planet and I will always always go back yeah, it's got a special place in my heart and you guys know for those of you guys who grew up there it's like um the bond we've made with our, our you know because our neighborhoods haven't changed much i mean from i grew up on the east side i am still in close contact with all my girlfriends that i grew up with you know or like time has never passed even though we're getting old now right mm -hmm. we're still the same people we were in the third grade mm -hmm. and that's that's pretty special yeah very nice. Yes. All right. I still have to click a little bit, but any I'm looking out there at the faces. Anybody else have any burning questions to ask? Susan, uh, Michael here, uh, being with the ski patrol that I am, and I, you know, last year we had record avalanches across the U.S. A lot of rescue teams are burned out. If you're comfortable with it, could you uh, would you delve into a little bit about PTSD for rescue workers? Yeah, that's um, a great um, question. And I, um, if you I don't want to go there, I understand. Yeah, no, that's okay. Um, you know, so what I learned in all this is, uh, you know, I had to rely on my team, even though I wasn't a very good team player, because we all have our roles, and they're so important. And I, Tasha and I have recovered a lot of deceased people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I finally had to disassociate. Um, it's like we found, you know, I, I just think of them like we found our target and then we moved ourselves away and 
I played with her and then I would go and comfort the family. That was like my role because I couldn't be hands-on um, handling the victims. Mm -hmm. So that was the way I protected myself. Um, and I, you know, I probably do deal with post-traumatic stress disorder from it. Um, and I don't even probably realize it. Um, so there, I, I do get triggered. Um, yeah. And I know, um, yeah, just even in Aspen last week, they went to recover a body and then three people were, you know, clocked by rock slide. And so one woman's in critical care. I mean, that, those are big, you know, big events. Um, we're just responding to Florida where the, there was the building collapse. Mm -hmm. That's, that stuff will, that will haunt you. And, you know, you're, I think the, the message here is surround yourself with really good people, you know, work as a team so you can really debrief this. And it's okay to say, this isn't my mission and step away from it. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're going in for, you know, recovery rather than live. And sometimes you just don't know the difference. Um, I was called to the World Trade Center uh, the next day and I, I declined. I said, I, that's not my mission because... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I knew the outcome would not be good. I don't know. Michael, do you want to add anything to that? No, I've been down the path. I know when I had my avalanche dog, um, one of the things they taught me, which I, I wasn't aware of in the very beginning was, you know, you find the, the target, as you say, and then you got to go play with your dog because the dog did what they're supposed to do. It's <laughs> not the dog's fault if the what whoever you find is dead or alive. You're just there to find the person or sometimes not the complete person I'll leave it at that you know what I mean so thank yeah. you for sharing I know it's not easy yeah boy that put the Debbie Downer on the conversation <laughs> <laughs> no but I was just thinking I mean you know you're right you I mean I, it's so easy not to think about it but like the dog did their part so you have to reward the dog you know I think that's a good point that you brought up for us, Michael. Those of us who will never raise an avalanche dog, which I think speaking for this room is none of us. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe for a lot of people on the call. So, but but yes, really good good information there and lots to think about. Um, I, I encourage all you guys to really start paying attention to your dog because all every time you take them outside or they're in your house, they're giving you information. Like, what? Pay attention. Don't be on your cell phone. They're giving you all kinds of information every day. Mm -hmm. They're trying to communicate mm -hmm. um, with you. Yeah, you know. And so to you know, that'll only strengthen your bond with them. Oh, it's just and for those of you um as you guys know uh, beautiful places like whitefish um or northern michigan they're getting populated by city folk and so um sharing our knowledge keeping them educated um is you know our responsibility now because if we're you know whitefish is getting or this valley is getting flooded with people somebody just drowned uh, a couple days ago because they didn't they weren't wearing a life jacket in the in the mm -hmm. lake so they can't find them and i'm wondering if they're calling dogs and i doubt it and um so it's our responsibility to um get the word out and educate people how to take care of themselves when they're outside because they just don't know what they don't know yeah well, 
Wow. Well, anything else from anyone out there? I mean, this was, you know, we've been doing, you're, you're our eighth Zoom call for the first round of the UP Notable Books. And this was very interesting. Yes, yes. I think it was really a lot of information that is just not something you typically know for right. most of yes. us. So it, yes. I think it was, I feel like the hour flew by. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you very much for that. And we appreciate it. It's really neat to um, to get to meet you on Zoom. I mean, I always want to say meet you in person, but to meet you on Zoom, it's really nice. It's it gets you seem different than the you in the book. I don't know why. Maybe because a few few years have gone by. Yeah, so it's nice. I mean, different in a good way. I mean, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but thank you so much. And we'll probably be um. Uh, talking to you tomorrow a little bit to get your address because we have to send you some money. But I see some chats coming in. So, um, oh, somebody just said that they got their time zones mixed up. Well, it'll be recorded, Mary Frances Erler. So I will, okay. be sending out, <laughs> I will be sending out the recording tomorrow and we apologize for that. Yes, it's seven, okay. seven yeah. Eastern, six Central. Now we, another person asks, what is the best way to reach out to Susan if somebody wants to follow up? So, well, do, can we contact you through that, um, the address that you gave for? Sure. Yep, it's my name, susanpurvis.com. So okay. you can sign up for my newsletter. Uh, you can find avalanche courses and wilderness medicine courses on that, um, on my um, Crested View Outdoor site, yep. Great. And I will send that out to everybody tomorrow. I wrote that down and that's something I'm going to send out to everyone. So they've got that handy and maybe you'll have a few follow-up questions. And like I said, I will follow up with you tomorrow to get your address so we can pay you some money. Not, oh, you know, not as, get money? Not, yeah, you get money. <laughs> not as exciting as seeing your book jacket there in New York city. That must've really <laughs> been kind of a shocker. I would think. Yes. So yeah. yeah. But thank you very, very much for talking to us tonight. So can we give everybody, everybody give her a hand? Okay. So thank you so much. And I'm going to finish the book. I'm, I'm, you know, about halfway. So I've got more to read. So that'll be good. Yeah. Prepare yourself for a lot of tears. Oh, tears. Okay. So worth reading the whole book. Well, we had so many people wanted to read, I had to share. And I didn't quite, you know, I took up too much time, so I had to hurry up and share it. But I will finish. So thank you, Susan, very much. Okay, thank goodbye, you. everybody. Thanks. Okay, Bye. and goodbye, everybody. We'll see you next month. No excuses. It's the shortest book ever. <laughs> I think that picture book's going to take everybody about three minutes to read. But we'll learn a lot about Isle Royal, which is also a very interesting um you know, piece of you of the Upper Peninsula. Now, Francis, uh, do I already have your email, or I need to get your email? I don't know. I'll give it to you. Write it in the chat. I'll copy it down to make sure that you're okay. it tomorrow. Okay. And thank you, everybody. Evelyn. Yes. One last question. Oh. Are okay. you are you responsible for um, putting this in the mining journal, the paper out of Marquette, or is somebody else? My good buddy, Victor Volkman, does that. Oh, okay. I kind of thought so. And this is great to have this come out the week of, and I've seen them for the other authors also. So, oh, um, oh I'm sorry, my background stuff is bleh, bleh. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming 
and going with Chapel Rock. All right. <laughs> well, anyway, yeah. that's that's nice. really a good idea. I will, he does a great press release, and a lot of times, even here, it'll come out in our newspapers and stuff. So, but that does look really neat. The cover there. So I'm going to thank Victor and tell him you said so. Right. This was in the Marquette paper, and I don't know, you know. Sure. And I live near Munising, so. Wow. Do you see that, Susan? You see how you're on the cover? Well, I, well, I got the beta from the besties, right? They, they go, oh, no, you're in the paper again. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Really nice. Yeah, yeah so thanks well, thank for sharing that, Paula. All righty. Thank <laughs> you for all your work, Evelyn. Oh, no problem. I enjoy doing this. It's a lot of fun. We're learning. I've lived in the UP all my life, but I've learned more about it the last eight months than I, <laughs> yeah. than I have the 47 years before. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good night, everyone. See you next month. You've been watching the UP Notable Books Club, brought to you by the Upper Peninsula Publisher and Authors Association. To join or for more information, please visit us at www.upa.org or www.upnotable.com.